welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. Um, this week, I'm really pleased to be joined by David Boyd, who's a strategic advisor to Carbon Ray, who've been both friend and client to Decarb Connect over the last year. And we're going to be having a talk about how changes in the carbon market, particularly in Europe, may really revolutionise how cement production and innovation uh, works over the next few years. So I'm going to dive straight in and just ask David, do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit more and tell us a bit about how you've arrived at this point in time where this is the kind of thing that you're focusing on? Yes, thank you. Thanks, Alex. Um, God, my career history and journey is is somewhat convoluted to the stage, so I'll try and keep it relatively brief. Actually, my first job was working nights for London Underground on track maintenance. I would go down for, for about 18 months, uh, changing the track, railway lines, sleepers. Um, I then got into the steel industry after university, after I'd done a degree in mechanical engineering. Um, I became a plant engineer and got really interested in how management decisions are made. You know, you can be an engineer and have a great technical solution, but actually how does a decision get made? So I ended up uh, spending about 15 years in mergers and acquisitions, uh, doing kind of operations due diligence on industrial plants for private equity firms beforehand, and then sticking around and integrating it afterwards. Um, bringing it back slightly to decarbonisation, the first time it really, I suppose, piqued my interest was when I was working in um, advertising. I was responsible for taking digital billboards and, and assets sorry, paper billboards and traditional billboards and turning them digital, putting a digital screen in. And we were really interested in the carbon impact of that. So yeah, obviously there's a carbon cost about the technology you're putting in, but what we're saving in cars, what we're saving in the paper we're using. And it was just impossible to do the analysis because there's no real good data on the real full life cycle impact of, of paper. And this was, um, you know, five, 10 years ago. Uh, that took me on to uh, a data business, which I worked for more recently, and we were working on the processing of, uh, of the drug safety issues that come from um, taking your medicines. And so COVID exploded. We got into AI. We were looking at implementing AI to suddenly deal with the, the, the implications of a mass roll, rollout of a vaccine. So, so I'm kind of working in AI um, uh, and working that through. Uh, and I suppose I got really, really interested in the stage we're at where actually because of the combination of AI and uh, of carbon, we're actually rethinking and re-engineering basic fundamental processes in the steel industry and gas and cement. And, and that's the kind of thing that doesn't happen very often. You know, these things haven't changed in hundreds of years and now we're fundamentally rethinking how we do them. So it was just exciting time. And, and I jumped at the opportunity to work with the Carbon Ray guys. I love that one of the things I'm really enjoying about the the podcast is actually that the range of backgrounds that people bring with them and I think in in part especially when you're talking to people who are on the disruptor side of the fence and sometimes in the, the finance side of the fence as well in part you're getting this variety because because people have just you know gravitated to decarbonisation as their own maybe their own awareness of climate and their role in it their ability to influence it you know is sort of coming to the fore and I, I just love it I love the variety of skills and experiences that people are bringing. Definitely and I think you know, we all think as individuals about our own personal impact, you know, whether flying or taking the train, driving or cycling. And actually, if you think you've got a skill set you could use and that has a more widespread impact in terms of, you know, fundamentally changing some of the things that that that, that humanity does, it's, it's brilliant. And it makes you feel better about um, maybe, you know, driving occasionally or getting the odd flight. Yeah. OK, well, let's let's dive into our theme of choice. And I think it's it's really interesting. We'll talk a little bit about the white paper that you've developed on this topic. 
Um, it's interesting to be talking to ostensibly a technology company about the state of play in the European uh, trading scheme. And, and yeah, I'm kind of interested in how, how did you guys come to decide to write this white paper? And then we'll go into the state of play in the ETS and so forth. Sure. Um, I suppose it is that it's a little bit about that kind of management decision making that I was explaining before is for our technology to be useful and applied, we really need to understand how the industries work and how they tick. And, and you take something like carbon pricing, which on the front, you know, is really simple. You know, there's a, there's a price, $80 euros a ton, uh, you pay it, you get the benefit. Actually, when you get into the detail about how it's applied to each industry, you get some really weird things happening. And, and I suppose as a technology business, we need to understand those so we can best help our clients. Um, cement production is, is classic for this uh, and brilliant in that uh, the way it's been applied to the industry is... Um, First of all, you get free allowances if you're an existing producer, um, but those free allowances are based on the amount of clinker you produce. So clinker is this you know, fundamental material that goes into the cement and the cement's used for the concrete. And it, it is the root cause of the emissions because you basically have to heat them at the, the limestone up to 1500 degrees, so massive energy uh, use. And suddenly you're saying, um, actually the more you produce of this material, the more free allowances you get. So you start getting this reverse incentive to actually cement producers have been incentivized to produce more and more clinker. Uh, in the rest of the world, you don't have that incentive. And so they use less clinker in their cement, which means that their cement is more environmentally friendly than it is on average in Europe. So a really weird way that you take something which is a good policy decision, implement it in the industry, and you have this perverse outcome of actually increasing emissions. Um, I suppose that's, that's, that's one um, aspect of it. Um, it the other aspect and another example of how policies are implemented around the capacity question. So if you take a cement producer, the rules say you have to be producing at least 50% of your capacity, producing uh, up to 50% of your capacity. Um, that means that some of these uh, less good plants that would be operating at 30, 40% have an incentive to increase their production to meet the 50%. So following the introduction of the ETS schemes, Europe's actually now become a net exporter of cement because everyone's rushing to produce more. So um, that's why we really got into the policy to understand what these things are doing and therefore how do our solutions best help um, cement producers. When you talk about this with clients, like what's the what's the kind of the mood music or the sentiment that they bring to it? What, how do those conversations go? So I think they are equally frustrated uh, uh, sometimes about how these things play out. Uh, it's really, really encouraging how they see uh, the people I've spoken to talk about how carbon pricing is a force for good. Uh, fundamentally, their clients who to a large extent actually go to governments for large infrastructure projects by the cement are very cost focused. And so that ability to innovate and put in products that are greener on the market and cost a little bit more just isn't there because, because nobody's buying it, nobody's willing to pay more. And so this is a, a force for good for them that allows them to become uh, greener and, and uh, emit less carbon. And also it's, it's trying to be something really fair. So the whole industry has to play by the same rules. Uh, and that's the key thing is they just want fairness in terms of making sure that, that what they have to do, other people have to do as well. Um, I suppose the final point, actually just think about it is time. So fairness and time. So if you think about an industry like cement, 
the the timescales for making changes and innovating and investing in hardware uh, and changing your business model can be significant. You know, you're making investments for decades. So um, giving them time and signaling to say what's coming next is another really important factor. Yeah, I find that that um, uh, the kind of the issues around how long it would take to introduce new ways of working is often the thing that people on the outside of foundation industries just really don't have a feel for most people's connection to manufacturing is the kind of high tech fast moving manufacturing where you know investments if they ever talk about it if they ever hear about it or a much shorter cycle but but the idea i remember when i was first starting decarb someone um, from the cement sector actually said to me we have at best one and a half investment cycles to really make the impact that we need i.e that's that's mm. 25 30 years of one and a half investment cycles yes and i i just thought that was quite a sort of whoa you know, profound. It is. And I think we, as individuals and, and governments, we lose we lose that focus because we're so, you know, a new iPhone comes out every year and we've only been using smartphones for 20 years. But actually a blast furnace campaign is 20 years. So, you know, you are making investments that can last 20 years. If those policies and, and structures and incentives aren't in place now, you've missed that opportunity through to 2050. Okay, well, um, I was, we'll actually come back to what the EU, the kind of potential changes on horizon are. I'm just going to, uh, you and I, before we came on air, had sort of talked about and uh, maybe using a live example. But why don't we look at that first? So okay. I, I know in the white paper, you'd, you'd mapped out, um, you know, what, what are companies making from these free credits at the moment? What's, and therefore, what's, what's the kind of, what's at risk to them with the changes from regulation? And we'll look, and we'll dig into those changes as well. Yeah. But just paint that picture for us. So at the moment, you do have listed cement producers in Europe, actually able to sell excess credits and making significant uh, amounts of money. Um, so uh, there's a there's a global cement producer that just in the last 12 months, um, overall globally made a profit of around 700 million from uh, dollars from their cement production, of which 600 million was from selling excess credits. Um, so there are some big numbers at play. W what I'd say is that there are policy questions around the finance area that make it difficult for them and, and difficult to, to work out exactly what's going on in industry. So at the moment, all those free allowances that are issued to cement producers, for example, uh, or, or in other sectors equally, uh, they're issued as they're free and they're accounted for in the accounts of the businesses as free. So actually, the, you, you have no idea from looking at an, a, a business um, whether or not it has a balance of billions of dollars of credits that are sitting on the books or, or none at all. Um, so you could, could be equally possible. There are cement producers out there which are worth more in the credits they're holding that have been free issued to them than they are actually as a business from cement producers. So you've got some quite um, strange things going on. What, what, I mean, what, what's happening to them as, as, as a company? I think when you look at the cement industry and, and steel industry, they're not making enough money from their core business to be able to absorb the cost of paying for carbon credits when they have to start paying for them. If you look at, um, I, I did an example of a, a, an Irish cement producer called CR, CRH. Um, there are about 31 billion revenue totally globally of which 5 billion is cement production. So, so their emissions are of the order of 20 million uh, tons of net CO2 emissions um, equivalent every year of which 70% are in Europe. And you apply a price of 80 euros per tonne to that, then you're talking about uh, 1.2 billion euros of cost from uh, 
uh, carbon carbon taxes um, as and when free, free allowances go. And there just aren't the profits in the whole business to kind of cover that. So it has to go to uh, be passed on to consumers of, of cement. And, and it, the same will happen in steel and glass that will see the cost going up. Um, and I suppose this is all happening at a time where the fundamental costs are changing as well. If you look at the cost of coal, which is you know key, uh, key fuel for still a lot of cement producers, uh, that's gone up in price from 80 US dollars a ton uh, to 400 US dollars a ton as a result of the Ukraine conflict. So this isn't an easy time if you're in a foundation industry. No, to put it mildly, and <laughs> with spiking gas prices as well, it's you know there's the kind of the yes. ability to find other choices or make other choices is is, is restri restricted. But coming back to something you were saying um, in sort of towards the beginning of that example, kind of the point of what we're talking about today is that these free credits are going to start to disappear, and that that then leads to a necessary change, we hope, and we expect in behavior and investments and the kind of technologies and innovations that may be used. But just uh, in addition to those, um, those emissions credits kind of uh, decreasing over time, what, what other kind of changes are you seeing on the horizon or that do you perceive are gonna have an impact uh, from, from the ETS? Or is that the primary? Is that the primary? I think, well, I suppose the key change is, is the free allowance is going and that's enabled by something called the carbon border adjustment mechanism or, or CBAM. So effectively what that means is that um, it creates an equal playing field that people who import cement or steel or glass into the European Union have to pay the same price as if you'd have produced it locally. So because of that you're, you're getting rid of the, um, the need to protect, protect uh, producers within Europe and that means you can get rid of free allowances, which also have all these perverse incentives associated with them. So um, that will mean that actually you no longer need to keep plants operating at 50%. You can suddenly start to reduce the amount of clinker you put into your cement. Uh, you can suddenly start to innovate in different ways in cement production because the, the structure that reinforced the existing systems is removed. So this removal of the carbon border adjustment mechanism is really, really important. Um, the uncertainty is, is timing, you know, when it starts to go out, uh, be implemented, uh, and when it finishes. There are so many dates out there, it's really interesting. So when we started the writing the white paper, um, people were talking about 2036, maybe 2030, and then it became 2022, then 2026, it really came forward. Uh, and that's people saying, actually, this is something we can do, we can do it now, we can do it safely, let's make it happen, because there are so many positives from it. Um, at the same time, politics come in, and actually recently, there was just last week, uh, quite an interesting session of the European Parliament where it was kicked out of um and it was pushed back so exactly what the timing is with this change is is the really big question but it's definitely the number one thing that's going to change uh, and impact producers mm. and then the other kind of well hopefully positive change but also slightly unknowable in terms of how quickly it will start to have an impact is the kind of the push that i guess the un through the uh, industrial development organization they have this push on green procurement through government um, which will largely be, I think, it will largely or mostly be focused on cement and steel, and obviously other green buyers. What, what's your, what's your sense of, you know, how, how are clients looking at that? How are they? Do they see that as something that's going to have quite a speedy impact or not? I think that positively, definitely. If if you can change um, the procurement policies to actually incentivize procuring better product, fantastic, and it gives them the encourage that you know 
the initiative and the and the benefit from innovating, uh, which is what they're looking for. The I suppose the, the challenge is always as these are political discussions, exactly what the timing is and how it will be implemented creates that uncertainty for them. And so the sooner we can make it clear exactly what the structures are and how it's going to be implemented, uh, that would be fantastic. I think one of the complicating factors with all these kind of foundation industries is things like standards, civil engineering standards, uh, and, and they are slow to evolve and there's definitely a degree of risk to, to changing them quickly. And so I suppose I'm always naturally cautious about how quickly we're going to see that change because of the, um, the safety aspect around these fundamental materials. Okay, so so this uh, this white paper and this discussion we're having, I mean, obviously, you know, Carbon Ray is a technology company, not a mm. policy advisory. So that's the scene setting. That's the sort yes. of that's the story of the market that's going on. Let let's sort of turn our attention then to one of the kind of natural follow-ons, which is once these credits go, once these dynamics start shifting, there will need to be different types of technologies and portfolios of technologies that come into play. So what's yeah, what, what's the story there and where does Carbon Ray itself kind of play into that? Sure. Uh, so there are lots of different routes to, to making you know, these foundation industries and particularly cement um, greener. You know, the, the easy one that, that we're slightly further ahead in Europe than elsewhere is switching to alternative fuels from coal. Uh, that's about 70% complete in Europe in terms of um, substitution, much lower uh, in other regions. You've got carbon capture and storage, People are talking about green hydrogen um, and the more conceptual ideas such as using graphene in, in cement production, in concrete production to, to really increase the strength. The challenge with all of them is that scalability question. You know, how quickly can you do this and can you do this uh, everywhere quickly? Um, and that's what is really interesting about what we've built at Carbon Ray in that effectively there is enough variation, there's enough complexity in how cement is produced um, that actually using an AI system to manage the production settings can, do, can deliver significant savings in terms of fuel and even better savings in terms of carbon. If you just think, that, and the reason that is, is you, know, you think cement production must be something we know very well. There's such variation in the input raw materials and the fuel combined with um, the, the actual hardware that's being used, that is actually a really, really complex process that you can't expect a human to actually manage. And they're managing not just the complex inputs, but the complex um, requirements. You know, what's the throughput? What's the quality? Uh, how much fuel are you using? What, what's, what, what are our objectives for the day? So finding that balance, actually, we've got a, a, an AI system that's able to find the optimum settings. So effectively what it does, it, it reduces the fuel use by about 8%. And because of the way we uh, can look at the fuel, actually we can reduce the carbon impact by about 20%. It's cloud-based, so you can roll that out globally to every single cement plant pretty quickly, really quickly. And that's what's really exciting me uh, is yes, I think with engineering standards and procurement policies and, and materials innovation, I'm excited to see what things are gonna look like in 20, 30 years time, but actually there are some solutions now we can roll out that will have that kind of impact. I know um, within our membership base, we often, I mean, we tend to talk about it in, I guess, slightly uh, simplified terms of what's the short term win versus what's long term. And, and this sits in that short term comparatively piece of well, not only is it if making that difference on your CO2 output, but bluntly right now, cost is everything. And that, that fuel reduction 
that, that ability to cut cost as well as your CO2 output. We, we see people looking at all kinds of technologies from the widget through to you know, highly sophisticated software that in different ways play to that same, that same tune, if you like. Yes, yeah, definitely. And, then, and this is, I suppose, the, the fundamental uh, element of all of the decarbonisation work that we do is that that portfolio of different solutions we need to work on in terms of time and scalability and then also working on the demand uh, and the kind of rethinking value chains and rethinking the fundamentals of materials at the same time. And it's only when we put that whole portfolio together that we can actually start to you know, feel like we can achieve the targets we set ourselves. So for Carbon Ray itself, then, what, you know, what stages is the business at? I mean, obviously, we at Decarb know you and the team well. It's kind of been exciting even just in the last few months to see the kind of gains you've been making. But just paint the picture for people listening about, about the stage of development that you're at. Sure. So a lot of our development actually was before Carbon Ray was established. So in the University of Cambridge and UCL's AI team, um, building these capabilities. Um, since we, we've been set up over the last year, the focus has been really the core development of um, what we're building for the cement industry. We're at the point that that's there, it's established. So we've, we've switched to the global scaling of the product, you know, rolling it out across India, Southeast Asia, US. So to try and get that scalable impact as quickly as we can, uh, which means that from a development point of view, we're now moving on to other industries such as steel and glass, you know, starting to look at the data sets, starting to look at, you know, blast furnaces and electric art furnaces and, and then, um, effectively take the same core technologies and, and and apply it to the different data sets to get a similar result. Yeah, is it, and I, I, as you're talking, I'm wondering, like, does the nature of your technology, like, how, how did the discussions about machine learning and AI go down? Like, is there a good degree of understanding of what that means amongst the prospect base? Or you know, what's the nature of those conversations at first? Yes, I think uh, certainly myself, uh, and I know when I was in industry and um, as approached by people with new technologies, um, whether it was AI or something else, I always had a natural scepticism to say, okay, do you, yes, there's a technical capability, a possibility, but how developed is it? And is it really, do you understand this industry and understand what we're trying to achieve? Um, so, so I was in that position um, a, a few years ago. And uh, actually, I think what's great is everyone's open to the possibility of, okay, we want to listen, we want to see. And it's getting uh, just our ability to demonstrate those benefits of what we've achieved in the pilot plants and, and where we've launched actually then really gives them confidence that it's achievable and, uh, and we can do it now. So um, I think the media, I suppose, is something called the Gartner's hype cycle. Um, where you hear about all these amazing things and then it, it goes into this trough where, where actually nothing really happens for a while, whether it's virtual reality or any other kind of technology. Um, and so I think the problem we've got is that AI does fall into that category of, yes, it's, it's, it's interesting, but is there really anything, any substance behind it? Um, and, and, and there is. I suppose what's quite interesting is ourselves and our lives, you know, AI is being used, but we're starting to ignore it, whether it's in social media platforms or on route planning or, um, you know, insurance uh, risk-based decisions, you know, AI is being used all over the place and it's starting to be just happening under the radar. Mm. And then, so for, for you and the team, what, what does the next year look like? So you've got pilot uh, studies or you've got... What, yes, yes, so we're, we're live, um, the, the, the platform's in use. Uh, so. 
yeah, it's going to expect to say going around the world, obviously not flying, we'll be doing our best to reduce our carbon impact, um, but just getting that global spread and, and getting it into as many cement plants as possible over the next 12 months, and then building out the similar models and piloting in, in steel and, and glass industry. So um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how, uh, how quickly we can adapt it to the other sectors. Um, and, and then where we can go from there is not just a, um, a kind of a single um, step we do this and we deliver the benefits and, the, and there are you know the benefit comes immediately but then it creates that kind of platform to say okay we've got this technology it's delivering this benefit what can we do with it now where can it go that's gonna be really interesting working with the um, industry and the cement producers and steel producers to see what comes next well, um, I know I'll be seeing, hopefully you, but certainly the rest of the team in Amsterdam next week. Um, if anyone listening wants some more information, either about Carbon Ray or this white paper that we've been discussing, um, I'll put some links in the show notes. I'll make sure I get those from David before I release him back to the real world. And um, yeah, but if you're in Amsterdam, come and say hello, and I'll be happy to introduce you to the team at Carbon Ray as well. Fantastic. Great, David, thanks so much for, for giving us this time and um, a really, a really useful white paper. So I'll, I'll look forward to sharing that and hope you get some good feedback from it. Brilliant. Thank you, Alex. It's lovely talking to you. Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.